Hello and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 po- podcast. 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 Your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting. We're talking all three in this January edition. We're heading into that weird situation. Football just ended. Basketball hasn't fully heated up and recruiting uh, is is heating up, but kind of in a, at a different level because of the early signing period. Anyway, uh, we're going to jump right into it. Of course, you can read all of our stuff at themichiganinsider.com, 247sports.com, slash college, slash Michigan. Uh, I'm Zach Shaw. I'm your host, Steve Lorenz, Isaiah Hole on the line. And we'll start, we're going to do basketball, then we'll do recruiting. Uh, then we got some football stuff. We get fielded questions on Twitter this week. Uh, feel free to tweet at me anytime if you have questions for the podcast. We do it every week on Thursday, and seems like people like it. I, I think that's probably safe to say as we're now six months in. Anyway, uh, we'll start with basketball. First question we got was from Luke Spitzley, who says, Why does Beeline start Duncan but give Livers more playing time? Wouldn't it be better to just start Livers? And Steve, I'll get your thoughts in a second, but I actually wrote a story today, uh, kind of my opinion on everything and I said you know Livers it's Livers time is now you know he was expected to be kind of a you know end of the season next season junior year kind of guy uh, but he's arrived right now 35 points in his last three games on 17 shots he's played 72 minutes Duncan Robinson's played about 53 and Isaiah Livers leads the the Big Ten in offensive rating he has the best net rating on the Wolverines so I'm I'm completely on the start livers board. I think, you know, you look at Michigan. They've tra- they trailed early against Iowa. They trailed at the under eight against Illinois by eight. You can't be trailing Illinois by eight. Something went wrong if you're trailing Illinois at home by eight points, twelve minutes into the game. And then obviously they fell behind by fourteen points against Purdue. We are going to talk Purdue in a second. Uh, but Steve, is there any reason not to start Isaiah Livers henceforth? No, not after the Purdue game. Uh, you know, he took Vince Edwards one-on-one down the, the stretch yeah. of a close, big, and important game in the conference and more than held his own. I thought that was the final That was the final straw for me. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, obviously, Beeline's earned any amount of trust in any decision he makes. Uh, so when he came out earlier before the Purdue game, kind of shot down the starting livers, yeah. Stuff. I said, okay, all right, well, there's, you know, he's obviously, he knows what the hell he's doing. So, you know, maybe we'll wait it out, see how it goes. But I mean, it's just, he's too valuable. It's, it's the fact that he's been hitting from outside is a bonus in my Seven opinion. Seven for I 11 mean, in big 10 play. Yeah. From three point range. Right. So, but it's, it's all the other stuff that he does. He's an excellent passer. Uh, he seems to have that, just that sixth sense on the court, uh, both offensively and defensively. There was one play he made. It, it didn't work out because Carson Edwards hit the shot, uh, but he came off of his man, ran basically all the way across the court, flew up in the air, and ended up being the hand in the face on one of the late threes that Edwards hit mm-hmm. uh, in that game. I thought, you know, that's j- not just the effort, but the smarts uh, to to recognize and, and react. I thought was was really great to see from him. And yeah, I mean, you know, I tweeted it like at near the end of the game. It is amazing. I mean, we've seen guys develop under Beeline for sure. I mean, it's his, it's one of his MOs. Mm-hmm. But the the rapid pace that some of these guys have developed at this season is, I mean, it's it's about as good news as you could ask for if you're Michigan. Yeah. Uh, with, between Simpson, Teske, Livers, uh, Poole, 
I mean, all four of those guys are already leaps and bounds better than they were at the beginning of the season. So, um, but it's, yeah, Duncan Robinson, I, I've kind of been a Duncan Robinson guy too. I think his play has been really disappointing yep. so far this year. And uh, I think, I think it's time to see what he can do off the bench as sort of a plug and score kind of guy instead. I think Zach, I think you alluded it to it before maybe playing him on the, at the more at the same time as they, when Teske's on the floor, uh, maybe a better, uh, a suited situation for him may take a little bit of the pressure off him defensively. Yes, yeah. It takes um, the pressure off because Teske can just put his hand up on a drive, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. So I think, you know, maybe pairing him a little bit more with Teske may open things up for him defensively. And then, uh, you know, maybe they'll transist over to the offensive side of the ball, but no, I mean, I don't see any reason not to put livers on the floor to begin the game at this point. Well, yeah, like you said, they've been down to begin the He's like that substitution has been the spark in all three of the, the last three yeah, games. It has, you know, it's, it's literally changed the game of the last three times they've played uh, when they put him in. So uh, I'm all on board about it. I mean, again, I was, I was on board about it uh, after would they play Illinois last. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on board after that. And then the Purdue game, like I said, Vince Edwards, you know, I think Dan Dockage mentioned multiple times might be the best all-around player in the conference as far as hmm. you know. He, what every again, I don't necessarily agree, but we can just say that Vince Edwards is probably an All Big Ten player. Yes, he was uh, third team All Big Ten last year, probably in line to be second team this year. And and just the stat because I I did I looked it up in the story, uh, he was three for seven for uh, and uh, I think he scored what seven points. And he had uh, two rebounds, two assists, and two turnovers, which is not a bad showing. But given what he's done to a lot of other good Big Ten teams, and you know he destroyed Arizona, destroyed Louisville, and so for a, I mean the the big thing is like it's not Livers isn't a freshman out there. He doesn't look like a freshman or a project or a backup four. He looks like one starter going toe to toe with one of the best fours in the entire conference. And to me, that's someone that should probably play 30 minutes a game. Agreed. I think it's that simple. Yeah. I, I, I actually concur on that, too. I didn't, to, to that same note, like, you know, like you're saying about all these young guys, I, I can't help but be not as impressed, but almost as impressed with Jordan Poole, especially what, from what we had heard about him mm-hmm. coming out of, out of uh, camp and everything, going into the season, saying that he wasn't, quite ready to contribute yet he seems to be able to provide a spark as well when he comes in yeah whether he's in with livers or or not so it's they just feel the team feels like it's so much further along right now than this time last year yeah i think they are ahead of schedule and pool is such an interesting one because i remember i covered like one of the high school camps in august and he was just as pumped up for every single thing then too i mean he's just like one of those people that comes with you know I, I, I he isn't like pj fleck but it's like in the same vein where it's like <laughs> he's just on a different caffeine level than everybody else around him and and it never stops and we were asking him about like you know because he has the short shorts and we we're asking him like oh you know what the equipment manager think and he was like boss man bob he was all about it and it's just like he's got like this this uh mojo to him that i think is is contagious and i think it translates well because he's he's a very shifty creative player I mean, I'll never forget that one like double spin move that he did against Texas, and it was just like a wide open two, and that uh, he didn't make the three, but he got fouled on it. You know, when he crossed up 
Uh, was it Matthias that he they crossed up in, in against Purdue? But yeah, and, and the thing is with Duncan is, and someone pointed this out in the comments to my story is that you know he's probably gonna there's probably gonna be defensive deficiencies no matter where he plays. But if you can just kind of work him maybe closer to the ball or more up more up top at the top of the key, you know, more situations that a two or a three would have and he can make threes. I mean, because basically you only want him in if he's going to produce offensively uh, or or he can eat up minutes and provide you leadership and awareness. But generally speaking, you want him to come in off, you know, frankly, off the bench and score some points. You know, that's that's. That's probably his best case scenario, uh, and so yeah. And like I remember the the beginning of the second half, it was like night and day. Edwards just completely blew by Robinson. Robinson, like you know, he stepped wrong or read the play wrong, and then Edwards did almost the exact same play two minutes later. But Isaiah Livers was there, and he didn't get a block, but Edwards couldn't get an open shot because Livers was just moving his feet and step for step with Edwards. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where it's like I, I kind of hate coaching drama, coaching search drama, and I hate, st- you know, starting lineup drama because, you know, it's basically insulting someone who's, you know, working really hard and doing their best. But I, I think Livers is the long-term solution, and I think he's shown over these, you know, over the three weeks. I mean, I asked Beeline before winter break – you know, it, I noticed that you get on livers a little bit more than other players during the games. And he's like, well, it's like that in practice, too. I spend 15 minutes every day with him in practice. And, you know, we're just working on little things, you know, footwork, handwork, just little stuff that's going to help him. Because, and, I, and he's not spending 15 minutes with everybody. You know, maybe he'll spend 15 minutes with someone who's slumping or whatever. But he's spending 15 minutes every day with livers because they know that he is he has that potential to be maybe not DJ Wilson exactly, but that guy that can just completely change the game because of what he can do at the four position in Michigan's lineup. So I'm, I'm, I think he's ready. You know, maybe beeline wants to see a little bit more, uh, but regardless, uh, we, we kind of alluded to see what, what does he want to see? Uh, I mean, Consistency, but I mean, again, Vince Edwards might be the best individual player he matches up against. Well, there's well, a Miles Bridges looks pretty good right now, and that's who's up next. My, I mean it like Beeline when he changes. You know, he had Xavier Simpson off the bench for a long time too. It's, it's not just a riding the hot hand. Some of it is the chemistry that you have with the starters, and you know, is is Isaiah Livers going to be too juiced up at the Breslin Center? And you know, cough the ball up on the first possession to just completely derail anything they had going. You know, things like that. I personally, I think he is going to start. I can't guarantee it. I think he should. Um, but anyway, we can discuss Purdue real quick. We we mentioned Livers going toe to toe. We mentioned a little bit that comeback. Um, and I guess Steve and and Isaiah, when you guys look at this game, because I wrote that I think I thought erasing a 12-point deficit in the second half against Purdue was actually rather encouraging. Uh, they, they lost a game they should have won, but it wasn't like Purdue stunk up the joint like a lot of teams that lose on the road. You know, those high-ranked teams like, you know, Duke at NC State or or this or that. Like, Purdue actually brought, in my eyes, an A game, and Michigan, they took a second, but they actually started to match them. 
Yeah, I thought so. I mean, I think Carson Edwards has taken the the torch from whoever that one guy was that used to play for Purdue who'd score like 35 points only when he played Michigan. Uh, I mean, Carson Edwards probably a little bit. I can't remember. You know well, what I'm talking about? you're not talking Swan again, right? No, no, yeah. no, no. This was like four or five years ago. It was a oh, guard. Oh, Robbie, Robbie Hummel? Is that? No, no, no. It was, uh, oh, I don't like know a what two- to tell you. <laughs> this guy had like, I, I'll have to go back and look, but this guy would like score like, like I literally went back in one year and looked at his box scores and he had like 31 and 34 against Michigan. And I think his season high after that was like 19. <laughs> and so like, and he did it for like two years in a row. I, God, I can't remember the guy's name, but you know, Edwards is a guy that just always seems to play really well against Michigan. He always like just his shot is just deadly. So I agree. I mean, look at the Purdue one by one point and they had to hit like what four, was it three or four threes? in a row in the last, like, like with, between, what, the five-minute and two-minute mark or something like oh, that, where they just, like... Yeah, they, went they were desperate, like, yeah. Yeah, they went lights out for, like, three or four minutes. Like you said, it wasn't like they, you know, completely fell off and, uh, you know, Michigan got back. In, I mean, it was like a back-and-forth, like a slugfest there for the uh, down the final stretch. So, yeah, I mean, it's a crap loss, and, you know, it's kind of the way they lost. Um I know if you go to super slow-mo that the ball looked like it went off Charles Matthews' hands, but that's a call that's never made that way throughout any other point in any other game. Uh, it's always a ball that goes back to the uh, offensive, you know, the offensive player. Uh, they usually, if it's off the, if the defender pokes it away. into Matthews' hand and like, it's right. just like the momentum. Right. right. But like, how often do they, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, a, that's, again, I'm not, if you want to get really technical, but um, I mean, even, and then to read, Matt Painter's comment afterwards that he like, like <laughs> mentioned it to him and then they and then they reviewed it and then they reviewed it for like five minutes. Yeah, and he said I, mean, I was just guessing, you know, I didn't right. <laughs> didn't think anything would come of it. The review was was ridiculous to go that long. I mean, that's again, I think I agree with those who say it like completely ruined the momentum of what had been an amazing game to that point. So, um, you know, another officiate officiating like driven heartbreaker from Michigan. Not saying again, not saying that it wasn't the right call or what I'm just saying that that kind of ended up becoming the focus at the end of the game was the way it was officiated. So um, kind of a heartbreaker for Michigan in that regard. But overall, I mean, yeah, you got to be super happy about the way the team looks right now. I'm, I don't expect them to go into East Lansing and win on Saturday, but there's no reason they can't compete against these guys for sure. Especially you look, you know what they did against Rutgers yesterday. Um, you know, and their loss to Ohio State. That being said, I, I know many out there are probably thinking, well, that means that they're going to go like shoot 80% from three and kind of rebound uh, against Michigan, which, you know, very well could happen. But, you know, I look at it like this. I don't really, I'm not saying I don't care what happens right now, but Michigan can win in March. This team can win in March, especially if they keep progressing at even close to the pace that they've been progressing so far. So, um, I think it'll be one of those classic beeline teams that I don't think people are going to want to play uh, come tournament time unless they completely fall off. But I just, those it's hard to envision because they have nine guys that, that are plus players right now. Right. Well, right. Yeah. And, pretty much. Right. And as weak as the big 10 is there, you know, there should be a lot of wins in there for them. Uh, you know, Minnesota without Reggie Lynch doesn't look nearly as formidable as they did. So, um, I mean, I'm assuming he's, I don't know what I thought, you know, but uh, uh, he, we'll see. Gone. I think they're really butchering that, but yeah, no, of course. But uh, well, he's good, 
so that that seems yeah. to play a role Rough. in this type of stuff. So, yeah. um, but uh, but anyway, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of potential wins out there on the board uh, for them going forward, and, and and yeah, again, I just think they're a team that not not a group that you're going to want to draw in March. You know, like I said, especially. I think Poole's come a long way. I still think he kind of gets a little caught up in the moment on the offensive end sometimes, plays a little wild because he's because he is such an emotional guy. But um, but another guy that, yeah, I mean, can really kind of be the catalyst to a maybe a nice little run in the tournament if they if they keep like I said, if they keep progressing. Yeah, he's still got like what, four assists compared to thirty two made shots. So um I'm sorry. Thirty thirty one made shots so still like like i still think there's there's a couple steps for him uh as for this weekend i really i am i think michigan state could very well win a title this season unless they get in their own way i think that's the only thing i mean that you know they just have that talent and i mean you know cassius winston is shooting lights out and he's such an offensive catalyst and he's like what the fourth best player on the team you know a guy like Josh Langford, he looks pretty good. Uh, Tum Tum Nairn is is not even you know in their t- starting five, and then they've got two top ten picks in in their front court. So I just I think it's going to be really tough. You know I I watched that Michigan State Rutgers game. And it was like Rutgers had like their second or third string center, a JUCO guy who's never made a college three, crank a three out in overtime to keep it tied. And it's just. I, I think Rutgers had a, had a night, and they 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 seem to have Michigan State's number. Perhaps it's motivation. Perhaps Pikeyell just knows something. Um, but I I think that they're gonna. I think it's gonna be a pretty strong showing from Michigan State on Saturday. But as I've said, I think Michigan's season will be defined by how it does. You know, against Maryland at Nebraska, uh, against maybe at Purdue, you probably take that as an L two. But Minnesota, Northwestern. Wisconsin, Iowa, Ohio State, Penn State, Maryland. I mean, that's that's where their season is going to go from being, a, you know, maybe a top twenty-five team versus being maybe an eight seed. Uh, so we'll see. I I think the ceiling is high as well. I think the the weird thing is just you want to see your best players be the guys that are supposed to be the best players. Like it it probably I don't think it's the best sign in the world that John Teske looks better than Mo Wagner at times. You know, same with Jordan Poole versus Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman and, and Charles Matthews. And I they they switched Xavier Simpson and Eli Brooks up, which I think was a good move. Uh and obviously we talked about Livers and Robinson. So I I'm I think it's a encouraging sign that they have so many guys on the upswing. At the same time, I think the guys who are maybe more plateaued, more established, I think they need to step up their level a little bit and you know because if Mo Wagner can go off for 25 points against Michigan State that completely changes that game and or or in the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament but if he's gonna be good for like 13 points and Teske's gonna come in and look better but have his limitations you know it's just one of those things where I think they need their top guys to start firing on the same cylinders that the that the bench guys are Anyway, that's probably yeah, actually. No- I want. Oh, I go ahead. To chime in uh, to, to that same exact note as I was going to say earlier. It it actually has to be somewhat encouraging that Michigan doesn't seem especially offensively like they're starting to, like they've played a complete game yet. Yeah, you see, that's you true. see a, a team like Purdue come in 
and shoot the, I know much to uh, John Beeline's chagrin, we're shooting lights out from three, but we haven't seen Michigan be able to do that yet. And we know that they're capable of it. They just haven't done it yet. So it's, it's got to be an encouraging sign in a way. I mean, I'm sure it could also be used to say it's discouraging that they haven't, but yeah. <laughs> that they're, that they haven't had the, you know, that signature look that you're used to seeing from a beeline team from the offensive side of the ball, yet they've still managed to put together some nice wins thus far throughout the season. So, you know, if, if, if they're able to come out and have that fire against a team like Michigan State, and instead of having where, like, you know, we talked a lot about Duncan Robinson, obviously, not being able to to hit on a lot of those things. Maybe he does come off the bench, and maybe he is able to finally find his stroke, which has just been missing all year long. Then things could look completely different. Yeah, actually, I think you have a good point, because I think this was a discussion in the press box the other day. It's, like, it's not like they were just chucking up threes and miraculously making all of them against Purdue. That's not how they came back. They came back with defensive stops, with uh, coming up with clutch rebounds, forcing clutch turnovers, and and just scoring enough on the other end. And so what happens, I think it's it's an interesting discussion. You know, what happens if all of a sudden they start raining threes? Because right now they're shooting 36% from three, and they don't have quite the personnel from last season, but last season they were 2.5% higher than that. They were at 385 So you know, if all of a sudden they come out and hit 50% of their threes against a good team, it's like, do they win that game by 20 because they have the defense on the other end? So we'll keep we'll keep discussing it. I think this is a fun team to, to discuss. Uh, it'll be certainly getting plenty of mention in the next few podcasts. But let's move on to recruiting. And we got, obviously, the VIP stuff for the most part, is going to stick to our VIP subscribers. If you do want to know more, uh, it's definitely well worth the price. Uh, Go to our site, get yourself a VIP membership, and you'll get tons of scoops. And we've got, like, what, five or six recruiting reporters plus the national guys. I mean, there's there's stuff every single day. Uh, But we'll we'll discuss some some broader discussions uh, here. And I guess first, um, I know we were kind of – rolling our eyes a little bit at these questions beforehand, but uh, this one comes from KStan40. He said, um, Partridge played a role in Walker, Gary Ruiz coming to UM for sure, but how is he as a coach, and don't we have him in order to get Friday, Shorter, Simon, Adamola, Clement, and other Jersey Cats? If he's not getting more dudes from Jersey, do we need him on staff uh, obviously, we're throwing this one out there to, to kind of laugh at it because Partridge, uh, you know, I know Don Brown does a lot with the linebackers, but Partridge is a pretty solid coach. I mean, you know, there's a lot of pipelines Michigan could have, you know, a lot of ways Michigan could have done the Jersey pipeline and could have opened up pipelines elsewhere, but they, they liked Partridge and his work ethic. And also, and Steve, I'll let you discuss the recruiting end a little bit more. It's just because you're from a state doesn't mean every player is going to follow you to Michigan. Uh, yeah, I don't even know where to begin here. Uh, <laughs> so, so he list didn't he list some Jersey guys too. So they missed on Shane Simon. It appears they're going to miss on Tyler Friday, uh, which I will say, if that does come to fruition, is a massively big miss. Uh, for the staff, I would not like deny that at all. I think it's one of the bigger misses I can remember 
since I've been doing this. Um, so yeah. Uh, but then like some of the other, like Justin Shorter, who, yeah, is a great player committed to Penn state like two years ago. Um, Adam Alola's Iverson Clement, neither of those, none of those guys were even takes. I think Michigan's only takes in Jersey this year were Simon Friday and then shorter. But again, that he committed so early, there was just no way uh, that anybody was going to flip Justin shorter, let alone Michigan. But I mean, Chris Hinton, Aubrey Solomon, Miles Sims, Mustafa Muhammad, Luigi Villain, Christian Turner, Cameron McGrone, Otis Reese. These are all non-Jersey guys that Partridge has been either the primary or secondary. Actually, all of which outside of Muhammad, actually, he's been the primary. You know, let alone obviously Gary Ruiz, those guys. He he's the staff's best recruiter. They put him in the toughest areas in the country to recruit. And he's beaten he's really, I mean, he's the only I'm I might be going a little strong here. I'd have to go back and look. I don't have all the data and right in front of me, but I mean, he's been the—he's easily been the most successful in going toe to toe with the big dogs in the tough areas, particularly in Georgia. Um, so, to even to even bring up the possibility of whether or not he's like worth a spot on the staff—I mean, <laughs> we—it's probably like they're fighting to keep him right now, you know. So it's this is—it's dumb. Like, and who are they fighting with for that? Well, we know Alabama for sure, but I know there are, <laughs> there are definitely others involved. Right. And, so it, as far as if they need him, well, every school in the country, because if Alabama wants him, there's a pretty good guess that just about everyone else would want him too. Would, would take him, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, they, they to, to because they missed on a couple, literally, uh, New Jersey guys to suggest that uh, Partridge – not worth a staff spot. I just, I really don't even know where to begin there. That's so off base kind of sums up the like people just seeing red right now about everything regarding the football program and not even like thinking cohesively about things. Because if you could tell if there's one staff member on the recruiting trail that you don't want to lose, if you're Michigan, it's Chris Partridge. And it may not even be that close. You know, you got Jay Harbaugh and, and Madison. Those guys, like, work really hard on the trail, too. But Partridge is a guy that he'll go in anywhere, and he'll give you a shot. So, I mean, he's even playing a role in Quavaris Crouch in North Carolina, too. You know, and, like, so, yeah, okay. Next question. <laughs> like, I, don't know if they're, I don't know if any of them are going get, to get better, Steve. But, anyway, Aaron, uh-huh. Aaron Kleckner says, do you have concerns about – uh, Michigan's recruiting efforts going forward, or was 2018 an anomaly? This year, it seems like UM was one for three of all four or five stars, top five lists. Yet, uh, Michigan just did not. They were they were in the top five list for a lot of te- for a lot of recruits, but they just didn't close. And then his second end is if Michigan misses on Friday, Sandage and Thompson, uh, where do they turn? And finally, did the early signing period hurt? in this class because uh because it's oh hold on here we go uh as most other options are already signed so lots lots going on there uh right. you know we've mentioned a lot of these three you know i think i think we're all past the three star recruits are a sign of weakness because they're just guys that the coaches believed in but uh to the rest of his question i guess what do you what do you anticipate 
uh, happening in recruiting moving forward? Um, so, yeah, I mean, the guys that they've signed, like the guys that they've signed so far are guys that the staff wanted and that's why they signed them. Uh, again, I think ah, that's the biggest, how it works. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think the biggest problem for people in this cycle is they just, I've posted this a couple times in the, they just refuse to accept the fact that Sammy Faustin or Christian Turner or Luke Sconemaker or German green and German green, that these guys were like legitimate targets for the staff throughout the cycle because they're not four or five star prospects. Uh, people just for some reason have a hard time coming to grips with that. Even though all of these guys were offered committed early and, you know, Michigan never backed off as they have in the past with other uh, guys that they've taken verbal commitments from. So I think people like maybe need to get past that. Um, granted, like I said, you go back to Tyler Friday, uh, if they miss there, which again, it p- appears they're going to, uh, Petit Frere, like who the heck knows what he's going to do. Jarrett Patterson, that one seems to be a close battle. I know Notre Dame offered and is, he's going to official, but then Harry Highstand leaves like that same day for the Chicago Bears. So I don't really know like what kind of factor Notre Dame is going to be in there. Um, but it's not certain that definitely not certain he's going to go to Michigan. Uh, so I'd agree with those who, you know, like when I posted the grades, uh, on the on the wonderful community on our site, uh, as where as the grades for the guys that they had already signed, there was a lot of blowback, and I made it about as clear as I possibly could that the grades in February might be a lot different, and sp- particularly at defensive tackle, that's probably gonna, that's going to fall because Tyler Friday was a massive miss. So. I think the possibility is there for an underwhelming finish to the, to the cycle. There's no doubt about that. Um, where they'll turn at defensive tackle, I really don't know right now. I have a hunch that they're going to keep fighting for Tyler Friday. I don't think they're going to give up on that one. Um, but I really I can't tell you right now. Uh, we'll dig on that for sure. I'm sure we'll have an answer in the near future. But as it stands now, no clue. As far as the future goes, I still think the 19 class is going to be really good. Um, they already have more top 100 verbals than they did yeah. in 18. Um, <laughs> but eight and five, again, there's reasons they went eight and five, but you know, elite recruits aren't necessarily going to be doing the deep dives on why teams go eight and five when they have 11 and ones and undefeateds uh, recruiting them, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I do think, yeah, they're going to need to see some better play on the field this year. But again, I mean, these are all things that I, I've written, I've anticipated. I think what we had them at nine and three, eight and four this year. It's not like we were expecting them to go eleven and one. Uh, I so think we all technically all- predicted ten and two, but that was with the assumption that certain places, certain parts of the team are going to develop and stay healthy more than they actually did. True, but I, I thought I said nine and three. Maybe I did say ten and two. If so, then maybe I should shut up about that. But um, you know, they're, they're going to have to see results this year. There's no doubt about it. And it is a tough schedule, but I do think the team will be a lot better. So, um, no, I'm not panicking about the recruiting class at all. Although, like I said, I do think there's the, the foundation or the possibility is there for this to be an underwhelming finish to 18. If you're strictly regarding the rankings and the ratings, um, both of these things can be true. One, Tyler Friday could be a massive miss for the staff and a huge disappointment that he goes elsewhere. And two, 
whoever they take to replace him, whether he's a three-star or a four-star, is a guy that this staff can absolutely develop and turn into a player because they have a mile-long track record in doing so. Both of those things can be true. People want to do one or the, want to go one or you know with the one or the other route on literally everything uh, about recruiting and about the team right now. So um, again, be a big disappointment if he ends up elsewhere. But you know, Greg Madison, I think Hurst was a three star on the composite. He Michael, was. He was a high three Michael, star, but yeah. Michael Dwumfor was a three star, and we keep, we've heard, you know I think Don Brown said outside of the two starting cornerbacks, he's the most improved player on the roster this year. So Glasgow um, was a walk on. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I, I I give this staff leeway in who they end up targeting. Yeah. I just I, I do. So Well, one more yeah. question to really to really set set everyone's hair on fire. This one comes from Moudini thirty one, and it is a moody question indeed. A lot of rumblings from some close to the program that they now feel Harbaugh may not be, quote, the Messiah after all. Saying this year was a colossal failure, offense is all JH's faults i assume he meant to say and it's a complete mess recruiting was a disaster for 18 and top assistants won't work for him yes or no isaiah uh you, you said before the show you've got some thoughts on this question uh <laughs> i mean obviously we all have thoughts on it. i guess what's what's your response yeah he's out the door you know no one likes him in the program i mean come on with that that's that's a lot of the the national the, the national media trying to pile on as they have all, all basically all season kind of feeding into the perceptions. I can, I can say with very strong knowledge of the inner workings of the Michigan football program and athletic department that those are not concerns. They are not concerned about him. They're not concerned about how this year went, you know, kind of like Steve just said about the whole not thinking about how, everything's gone coherently. And like you mentioned, Zach, you know, the whole idea of there being, you know, certain pieces that everyone thought were going to be able to perform this year that weren't able to due to health. I mean, I think we had Wilton Spade as our number one, most important player or number two. I can't remember in our, in our poll. Yeah, he was one or two. I can't, I can't remember. I think we had Gary yeah. one, but yeah, Spate was yeah. two and he was out the yeah. whole season. Exactly. They, they, they see that they know that it's still a winning season. It might not feel like it because there seems to be like this weird, dumb perception that in college football, it's just like the NFL. They say, well, it's year three, it should be better. Uh, I got asked this question uh, yesterday while I was out having a cigar by an Ohio state fan saying, why after year three, why aren't they better? And, and then he says, what happened? They, they lost 11, 11 draft uh, players to the NFL draft and they couldn't be better. And I said, well, you answered your own question right there. They lost 11 players to the NFL draft. They had a very young team on one side of the ball. It performed. Was the 11, was that a record by the way? I think it was like a college football record. Uh, I don't know if it was a college football record. I know it was a Michigan record, of course. But okay. I think it, I think it, it might have tied a college football record. So, I mean, uh, but a historic amount of departures. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had you know an entire half of uh, half of the starting team gone in the draft, and you know there were a couple bounces and a couple different things away from being a much better team record-wise than they were, and a lot of it as I know that they see it in the athletic department is you can't teach experience. 
And were things terrible on the offensive side of the ball? Unfortunately, yes, they were. But it isn't it isn't necessarily an indictment on the program as much as it is an indictment on 2017 and not having the backup pieces ready to go that were equally as young but weren't starters for a reason. Uh, so I, I just I don't understand the uh, – you're starting to see on social media people saying Harbaugh's not worth the money and things of that nature. I mean, he took a 5-7 and seven team that was – Look, that a lot of people were saying would be lucky to make a bowl game, even under Jim Harbaugh. They went ten and three. They had a disappointing year in 2016, based off of the expectations, but still went ten and three. And eight and five, yes, it's disappointing. But you look at you have pretty much everybody coming back, except for really three guys. And you know they it's going to be a hard schedule, but there's no reason why they can't. Uh, cobble something together. They only had one blowout loss all season long. Everything is right there where you want it to be. And the only thing that isn't right now seems to be fan enthusiasm. (laughs) Well, I will say, and I think Steve brings up, he he always says, you know, getting guys to the NFL and getting guys to championship games. You know, right now Michigan's got one of them squared away. Uh, And so, so to keep it going, they probably need to take a step forward, but I think Isaiah outlined it kind of I don't I don't think that Harbaugh's you know I I don't think it's quite what uh Mudini has to say I, I think the the team's in a in much better shape than that uh but speaking of there have been some hires and obviously there are plenty of rumors there are plenty of speculated moves uh, but we are going to save that for our for our full-time paying customers. They're on the VIP board, the Victor's Club. But there are some official ones. Al Washington, uh, it sounds like he's going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Ben Herbert, the strength and conditioning coach from Arkansas, previously of Wisconsin. Dan Enos, former Central Michigan head coach, former Arkansas offensive coordinator, and right now, I believe his contract, he is not officially a coordinator, so he's going to most likely be a position coach. Uh, and then and then there's, you know, I, I think it's, there's a pretty safe bet that there is more changes. And we'll start with you, Steve. You, you know, you definitely talked to Frank Ragnow, uh, future first-round NFL draft pick, about Herbert and what he can bring. And then also... In regards to Enos, who also coached Ragnow, and then a little bit about Al Washington. I guess what what are some key things fans should know, other than just simply where they came from? Uh, I think the two biggest things uh, we'll talk. I'll cover the actual coaches first. Uh, Michigan got two plus recruiters in these guys. I think that's that was really important. Uh, I know I posted a few weeks ago i think there was i think the one one of the things again we just defended kind of defended recruiting for them but i mean it's you know there's no doubt in the things that's not perfect by any means uh one of the things i always, i've gotten the feel for is i feel like there was too much of a gap uh as far as there there's a group of grind recruiters that grind on the on the staff that that put in the work day in and day out and know the game and then there was others that don't put in that same amount of work. And I feel like there was too much of a gap there. 
Uh, I think these two hires help close that gap significantly. I think Washington is going to be an excellent recruiter. You see Michigan already offered two kids in the state of Ohio yesterday. There's no doubt that's a, not a coincidence. Um, whether they'll get these guys or not, not the point. Michigan needs to be more aggressive in Ohio. I don't, I, I, I've said that for a, a long time now. You know, we know Ohio State does well in Ohio. They're going to keep doing well. But that doesn't mean that Michigan should just give in, right? So, um, and I think you're going to see Washington be the, the 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 flag carrier for Michigan in Ohio going forward, at least for the most part. So, um, so great recruiters, Enos. You know, I didn't write about what Ragnow and I talked about regarding Enos. I guess I can just say it here. Uh, two biggest things he told me: one, he said that Enos is the most competitive. He was the most competitive coach that he had at, at, on the Arkansas staff that he worked with obviously fits well into what Harbaugh wants in that regard. Um, but he also said he referred to him as a genius offensively. Um, he didn't, he didn't say it explicitly. So I don't want to put his name behind this. I just got the impression. Cause I know a lot of people looked at Arkansas's offensive numbers in 2016 compared to 2017. Um, I got the strong impression that the personnel maybe wasn't there for Arkansas last year compared to the year before. I know they lost Dan Skipper to the NFL for sure that from 16 to 17. And I'm guessing they lost some other guys too. Well, they had I don't know some injuries as well. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So he was a big advocate for, for Enos, like, you know, again, much like with Herbert, maybe a little bit more than I expected. I mean, he's not going to take the phone call and talk about him if he's not going to say good things, but he was very adamant that, uh, basically that Enos wasn't really the problem uh, with as far as like Arkansas's inability inabilities on offense last year. So um, plus he's got, got massive in-state ties and Michigan needs that too, you know, so on the recruiting trail. So I think uh, great, both are great hires on the recruiting trail and uh, Enos really, you know, I think the contract details were released yesterday because Arkansas is still paying him money. Michigan got a bargain. I mean, that's a that's a great hire at a at a really a discount price, and especially if he does turn out to be a position coach, as I feel like I first reported, um, you know, like last week that it was likely wide receivers, maybe tight ends, maybe both wide receivers and tight ends. So, um, you know, we'll see where that if that ends up coming to fruition. I still kind of feel like it will. Um, but yeah, though I think both really good hires recruiting wise. I don't know as much about Washington as an actual position coach. Uh, we'll see. Well, he he kind of he's he was a Don Brown guy, and I think the one thing he did that I think is really interesting, even if he doesn't actually coach the defensive line, is that he, he has a really innate understanding for the jack position, which is kind of a it's the one thing I don't think Brown brought to Michigan from Boston College, but the Jack is a hybrid between defensive end and outside linebacker. And what I think is intriguing, and I'll let you guys weigh in on what else you think about Washington and Herbert, but I think Washington might help Winovich kind of play a position that maybe he's more natural to play because that's what he would be in the NFL as a Jack. Like he wouldn't be a, you know, down lineman defensive end type. He would be kind of in between. So I I just think anyone Don Brown is kind of like in that John Beeline territory where he's just earned a really high level of trust. Is if he brings somebody in, he did it because he really thinks that they can add something to the program. 
foul with that. Yeah, go ahead, Isaiah. If, 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 that's all right. If you you know if, if that is the case, they end up using Winovich as kind of a jack. That is actually kind of perfect considering the kind of personnel that, that you know they were running a lot this year with the more of a three three five look and everything like that, and still being able to keep some of those playmakers that they have along the defensive line in having him essentially as you know, obviously you're not necessarily having a three, three, five, but you're, you know, maybe kind of more of a three, four type look and having him play that, that role. I mean, that, that would, that could be huge for what Michigan does on the defensive side of the ball, especially considering that Brown does keep innovating as he continues to be with the staff. And, you know, we keep on seeing different looks. That would just be another one that could potentially pay huge dividends next year, especially because they don't have Mohurst next year, though we are hearing good things about Lawrence Marshall and Michael Dwumpour. And Steve, so you talked huge, about huge Steve. You talked about Herbert. Yeah, real quick. Um, I strongly alluded to this on the board after I wrote the article, but I mean, Ragnall was so over the top in his praise for Herbert and what he does. So, uh, I mean going to put trust in a guy who's going to be could easily be drafted in the first round um at worst probably a second or third rounder he's i know he's been dealing with an ankle but still this is a guy that's going to play in the nfl uh kind of hard not to take his word on stuff uh when he's talking about his appra- uh his praise for herbert um i it just kind of feels like michigan may have hit a home run in this one so um you know, the one thing I learned from from Frank was, and I'm we know that strength strength conditioning coach is really important, but it doesn't get talked about enough. I think that's kind of like just a way it is, sort of like almost special teams. It's like it's really really important, but it never gets talked about. Well, much the strength as, coaches spend more time with the players than the actual coaches way, do. Way more time, and that's one of the biggest things he said is like he's like we don't just spend more time with them; we spend way more time with those guys than we do with the uh with the the coaches with the coaching staff so um and he just went above and beyond uh in reference to just how hands-on he is with the players um how meticulous he is uh how he tailors everything to the individuals so really impressed with what he said about him and and the fact that they're overhauling the strength staff so much to me is a pretty good indicator that they feel like it may have been one of the drivers behind some disappointing fourth quarters, uh, you know, in the past, which again, you look at Ohio state the last two years, um, Iowa, really the three losses in 2016 were kind of fourth quarter, not meltdowns, but just fourth quarter disappointments, you know? So, um, feels like that they must've, you know, Harbaugh obviously must've felt, it was one of the big drivers there. So, that, I mean, that's why there's a whole overhaul. I mean, like I said, they didn't just get rid of uh, – they didn't just move move on from Kevin Tolbert, but they moved on from his entire, like, support staff. I mean, there's a whole new group of guys coming in. So, uh, it, it'll be really interesting. He's – Ragnow also said he thinks that Mich- the players will see immediate results with him too. Not, this won't be like a process. He says he thinks once he gets in, once he gets his system established, he said Michigan – players should see uh results as is you know this fall so as far as on the field so 
really interested. Again, kind of one of the, it's never going to, it's not going to get the pub that all the other hires that they made or are going to make are going to get. Well, we're giving them a lot be, of pub, but yeah. <laughs> I know, but I, I, I guess the way I approached it was, is that I think it is, especially after talking to him, is this way, it's super important to how you develop as an individual and uh, how the team performs. So I think it's, I tried to give it more attention because I guess I, I feel like it should get a lot more attention. So, um, well, and yeah. I had that stat, not to toot my own horn, but I mean, Herbert, and I don't know how much he worked. It sounds like he worked a lot with the offensive line at Wisconsin and Arkansas. I mean, the, you know, you can credit Bielema, you can credit Bielema's other assistants for it, but, you know, the the truth is, since Herbert started at Wisconsin, they have sent, and, and, then, and you can include Arkansas too, they have sent 26 offensive linemen and tight ends, and we've talked on this podcast about how a lot of times offensive line recruits panning out has more to do with the strength that they build in college than what they had in high school, but they've sent 26 linemen and tight ends to the NFL and two of them were five-star recruits. And I think those are pretty, I mean, that's a pretty incredible rate of success. That's, that's miles ahead of what Michigan's been doing the past 15 years. So agreed. And that's where they get, Go ahead, and just, and sorry. The, that's all right. Uh, just I, I wanted to state again, kind of reiterate what you were saying about before we move on entirely from from this, the importance of not only Herbert rehaul, you know, coming in, but the fact that Justin Tress, Tank Wright, and Kiro Small all are coming with him because that's something that we hadn't really from this, you know, under Tolbert. Yeah, there was Tolbert, but it was Tolbert's show really uh, when it came to the strength and conditioning. It didn't really seem like the support staff weren't really front and center as far as strength and conditioning. Now they've got kind of, not necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say dream team. I think that's uh, that's a little bit uh, early to say <laughs> yeah. that. But, but, you know, you have you have a team that, could really revamp things in just a very significant way. It's it's a very very significant. Uh, I don't know really how to phrase it, but uh, just a very significant group of hires. The fact that it isn't you know that you have such a an acclimate you know acclaimed uh, support staff as far as that's concerned because these guys aren't slouches on the strength and conditioning side. Yeah. Hey Isaiah, real quick, have you heard any reactions from? Uh, either players or or other people around the program to these hires, and you don't have to attach names. I, I but I'm I'm curious. Like, are, are are they excited about these hires, or is it or is it still kind of too early to tell what what people uh, think? I think it's a little too early to tell. Okay, I mean, this started happening. They, you know, they they didn't really announce the uh, the assistants uh, until I mean they never really technically announced them, but they didn't come aboard until the last couple of days. Over, okay. The Herbert hire wasn't made official until I believe it was the the day after the Outback Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. It became it was unofficially uh, we unofficially reported it uh, the day of the Beach Day, uh, a couple days before the Outback Bowl. So there hadn't really been much of a, a chance, and I know not everyone is even fully back on campus. Right. I'm not really sure how that how that works, but I know that. There's some guys that are still kind of back in their hometowns and get back to campus this next week. So it's, it's, uh, I, I'm curious to hear a bit more, uh, how, how it goes. Uh, obviously it's, it's, you're coupling this as well with, uh, 
this new facility that should be opening relatively soon in Oosterbaan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, uh, it looks like it's pretty close to completion. So you, you've got, you've got the players I know are excited about that. They've, they've been taking the social media to show a little bit of what those facilities are looking like. And, Was Michigan uh, held back by that at all? I could be totally off here. Like, did they not have enough facilities this year to accommodate what they wanted to do? You know, I didn't think that that was the case, but I mean, clearly it's something that they thought was really pivotal to what they're trying to do. So, uh, oh, I meant this fall when it was under construction. Yeah, obviously, obviously, I I don't believe so. They, 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 uh, Oosterbahn was really the only building impacted, and that was where they, you know, would do a lot of indoor stuff. So, I mean, they could have impacted some practice type things. But not necessarily like strength and conditioning. Gotcha. Uh, it definitely, it definitely could have if the weather wasn't uh, wasn't terribly pleasant enough for them to go outside. Uh, it definitely could have impacted the way that they they practiced throughout the year. Yeah, yeah, maybe not you know, anything major. As for as for the equipment, obviously that's become an arms race. You know, everyone's seen Alabama's ridiculous weight room and all the other ones that there are. So, and and as Frank told Steve he committed to Arkansas largely because of Herbert and what he can do and what his pedigree was. So uh, we'll see. I, I don't, I think uh, Steve, Steve's got me sold on the Herbert hire, uh, even though I hey, don't. That was, the, that was the other thing. Sorry. That was the other thing that Ragnall made a point about that was really interesting. And I don't know. I don't think I wrote it correctly in the story. I may have the quote. I think I didn't twist it, but like it didn't sound right. He said, if he could go back and be a recruit again, he said he would base the bulk of his decision off of his the relationship he developed with the team's strength staff oh, okay. and, the, and the system that they like to run. Um, no, you're still right because that's he. It still factored into his decision. So what you said wasn't wrong. I wasn't trying to correct that. I was just saying like that was the other thing that I really because uh, recruits very rarely. I think I've had a couple kids have mentioned. You know, I really like the strength staff here. Uh, whatever, but it's hardly ever a topic that comes up, you know, when talking about choosing a school. So I thought that was really interesting. And uh, again, yeah, I mean, he, so he said he's, I mean, he basically almost was like stumping for Michigan because he said that Herbert was the best. So um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, we'll see. Interesting stuff. And all right. So we got, we got one more football question. And by the way, for the next few months, because in the summer we'll have more manufactured stuff, like most important players or, you know, position that needs to step. We'll have stuff like that, but the off season's so long, we don't want to repeat ourselves too much, but we will happily take questions about the team uh, throughout the off season. I will say we got three questions about if Michigan needs, I don't know who, someone must have written something because we got three questions about whether or not Michigan needs to move to the spread. Maybe it's because of the Alabama and Georgia, but we're going to table those until they actually until everything is settled in and we actually have a legitimate answer we can give you uh, based on the new staff and what other changes will be made. So we'll let you know when we know or have a, have a sense, I, I, you know, or, or even sense of speculation because there is a quarterback who probably is better equipped for the spread or a spread type situation who we don't know if he'll be eligible. So we'll table that, but we did get one question uh, which I think is kind of an interesting one. It comes from uh, Kevin Sinatar, who said, do you think Be- Bredesen, Ben Bredesen, can slash will play RT 
allowing Spinellis to enter the starting five. And, you know, at first I saw it and I was like, really? But Steven Spinellis, and I'll, I'll give my opinion on this at first, is I think Steven Spinellis might be a quietly ascending player. Uh, I think if you can recall back in August, I reported that he lost 28 pounds, I believe it was, uh, which, you know, that can speak to where he was before, but it also speaks to the fact that he's putting in work, you know, really legitimate, measurable work uh, to get himself onto the field. And that was just from freshman year, sophomore year. And then against South Carolina, Patrick Kugler uh, was a little hurt. And so he ended up, Spinellis ended up playing 59 snaps and he was pretty effective in uh, run blocking. He was Michigan's best run blocker on the entire team. And he was the second best offensive lineman behind Cesar Ruiz in the entire game. And so I don't know. I still think your best interior is Ruiz, Onwenu, and Bredesen. That's a very good interior moving forward. But if the marginal value of Spinellis at left guard is greater than the marginal value, you know, if, if, if the line is net better with Bredesen taking one of the tackle spots, because we've mentioned they need two tackles, and they don't have a for sure answer at either of them yet. No one, you know, Grant Newsom, certainly I think the entire world is hoping that he can come back in full, but you just don't know until you know. And then obviously they have three redshirt freshmen in uh, Jawan Bushel Beatty. And, you know, it's a lot of candidates for two spots, and no one is very clearly the leader. But Bredesen, you know, maybe he is more valuable to Michigan at tackle. Uh, and having Spinellis at guard. So uh, we'll start with Isaiah. I want to hear from both you guys, though. I guess, I guess, what do you think about this? And then maybe some other thoughts on the offensive line. Well, I mean, it, it kind of goes along with something that we had surmised a bit about throughout the season. Of You know, that, that right side of the line was such an issue. I know they were happy with uh, Bredesen where he was. So it, it's one of those things where... I always thought moving him to the outside on the right side might have been the best move, and I think now they have a catalyst for which they could probably do something with. Spinellis, don't forget, is a guy that I know we always talk about Ben Mason, uh, Bench Mason, or sorry, Steve, I'm still not saying it right, Ben Mason. Uh, Thank you. You know, yeah, sorry, I forgot our rules. But he, uh, about how strong he was and strongest player on the team, I know he won toughest player on the team and everything, but... uh, the other the other guy that was I kept on hearing about as being the strongest guy and probably literally the strongest overall is Spinellis. And, you know, you couple that with Herbert, you know, the fact that he was able to they, they he was a guy like Ruiz, they they had to get him on the field. They just they had to find ways to put him on, on the field regardless. That's why you started seeing him coming in as a sixth offensive lineman. I don't think that was necessarily a uh just because of the right side having issues i think they just wanted to get him on the field uh, as, as much as possible and he you know acquitted himself quite well as they would say uh i think it'd be it's, it's interesting because you've got a lot of guys on the interior that are solid i don't think there's any concern about what what michigan does going forward in the inside and to me that's where they have to make some adjustments and say like, you know, we, we've got to move someone out, out to the end, because you know, unless they have a guy already that they think is already that good. But they have a wealth of riches on the interior of the line. Uh, 
I, I don't see why they don't necessarily put Bredesen in a position like that unless they just don't think he's going to be nearly as effective there. But, uh, I mean, between Ruiz on Wenyu, Spinellis, and I, I, I really think Spinellis showed you some things, uh, in, not just in the Outback Bowl, but just those, those few games that he was able to come in, definitely held his own. Uh, I, I don't see a reason why they don't uh, do something there. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure they will. Yeah, another year of technique, too, to go with that strength. Steve, I guess, what do you think about that and then the offensive line in general? I mean, it's the ant- the potential answer is twofold. It's one, is Bredesen good enough to play right tackle at right tackle? The impression I get is that they they think he is. This is based on, I mean, what I've been told in the past is like they they love him. So I thought somebody in the or the chat that I held last week on the site, you know, I thought it was a relatively fair question about, you know, I keep hearing that Bredesen's so great, but sometimes I don't feel like I see it, and uh, I kind of agreed. Like, but but then every time I ask about him, I get really really positive responses. Uh, it's really the best way to put it. So. Um, I got to think they would at least think he's capable. And the second question is, you know, which of these true freshmen or these guys that are freshmen this year, can these guys emerge and throw their hat into the ring? Right. So whether it's Hudson or Filiaga, who I think Filiaga is another guy that could, could maybe play insider out. I know he had a really good fall camp at guard, whether that's Mm. his home, I don't know. But I, but I think that they're practicing him at tackle. Like, he's played a lot of different positions. Um, and then Stuber, my guy. So, uh, you know, can one of those three guys really emerge? I think one of them needs to. I would assume one of them can. You'd think they can. You'd, it's, you know, again, I'm not trying to – not going to go comparing everybody to Alabama here, but when uh, their left tackle gets hurt and they can just throw out Alex Leatherwood and he just, like, plays like a three-year starter – in the national championship game, you'd have to think that after a full year of development, that one of three guys that Michigan handpicked and recruited to play offensive tackle could play at a good level. Right. So, um, so there's that. Uh, So I think that's really what the answer is. I agree though. I think Spinellis is an intriguing piece into the puzzle. Like we mentioned before the show, he was the, what do we say, Zach, the second highest rated offensive player. Yeah. Yeah. Best run blocker. Yeah. Yeah, by Pro Football Focus in the Outback Bowl. So, um, again, they're not the be-all, end-all, but I know that I come, came out of that game thinking that he played really well myself. So there's got to be some kind of correlation there. Um, not that it, I mean, I don't know how much it matters, but they say he is the smartest guy in the team, too. I have to assume that matters a little bit when you're I talking about I think if you're center. the smartest and you're arguably the strongest, you know, at some point. Right, you've got to definitely have a shot, right? So, yeah. um, and then, you see him, like I said, then you see him play what looked like a good game in the bowl game. Really, that was his first – did he – might correct me if I'm wrong here, but I thought the rest of his snaps throughout the year, what he was like a sixth offensive lineman, correct? Uh, I think a couple games he snuck in as that. I'm not sure if it was every single game. I think like, he did he had, take like, any snaps at time, though? I, or was they, this his first? They said that he had at one point, but I don't remember seeing it. They, right, they, I didn't, Harbaugh, I didn't Harbaugh remember. Harbaugh mentioned at, at the bus that he came in at some point uh, at, at center, but I just I don't recall having ever seen that. So. Well, I remember right. he was like kind of a red zone 
package guy. Anyway, here's his snap counts. Uh, he did not play until the Rutgers game where he played 12 snaps, kind of as a tight end, uh, right right side of the line guy. And then against Minnesota, he had 12 snaps. Uh, Maryland, 10. Wisconsin, 7. Ohio State, 2. But he, he was listed at center at all of those. So maybe we'll have to go back and, and double check and see. I know he was the backup center this season. Uh, just from watching in warmups, but I mean, he did come yeah. in at center at Minnesota, against Minnesota, but it was that was the uh, you know it's, that was not just garbage time. That was the last series with Malzone. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you know, came basically the long story short, he came into that game with little like actual game experience at center and played pretty good football against an SEC opponent. So. um so he's definitely an intriguing piece. Like I said, it just comes down to those two things. One does Brett, and then, well, three. I guess what you mentioned, Newsom, who we'll see there. I'm not. I think there's some optimism there. I'm not. I don't. I don't want to go too far with it, but I know that there's some optimism with him. I know he should be meeting with some doctors or the D doctor, team doctors, or whoever's been monitoring his progress, like in the very near future. So hmm. um, to. I think the plan, I posted this in the VIP chat, so it's old news now. It was like a week and a half ago or a week ago that he, uh, hoping to get clearance for winter conditioning and maybe some non-contact stuff in the spring and then be ready for f- the goal. The The best case scenario is that he's a full go by fall camp. Wow. So, again, if he get, I don't know if he's going to get there or not, but but that's the plan. That was the, that's the hope. So, um I tell you what, man. I've been saying it since the day he got hurt. If there's one guy who can do it, it's him. I mean, I really, and I'm not just saying that because because he is a good kid, and you can see it, and you know it because you talk. You, you had to just talk to him one time. I just, he's got the the right mentality, you know. So uh, I think there's a shot there. I know he ain't gonna give up until he until he's back on the field. So um, or until they absolutely tell him you you know you can't do it, you know. So. Um, We'll see. So those three things. Can Newsom come back? Will the one of the three freshmen develop? Or again, if they can get Petit Frere, which again is just nobody knows what's going on there, you know, then you can add maybe a fourth guy in that mix. And then also is Bredesen a capable right tackle in their opinion? Those three things would really answer what they could do with Spinellas, because it's obvious like all three of Spinellas, Ruiz and Anwenu are definitely interior guys. So mm-hmm. um so yeah, I think those three things will dictate what Spinellis does next year. Nice job, Kevin Sinatar, getting us talking 15 minutes about the offensive line. That was line. a good question. That was what yeah. I would call a good question. <laughs> capital G, good, question. good capital Q question. Anyway, that's going to do it for the Wolverine 24-7 podcast for this week. Uh, be sure to check out all of our stories, 247sports.com slash Michigan, themichiganinsider.com. Uh, you know, feel free to sign up, get, get the latest scoops at the Victor's Club, but obviously we have a lot of free stuff going up too about Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. For Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. And we'll see you next time.